Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. All right, we're gonna we're gonna get to Deuteronomy six in a little bit. So let's uh, let's pray and ask God to bless us on this Father's Day. Lord, we are so grateful for the privilege to be here today. Lord, thank you for the amazing grace that Caleb just sung about. Lord, that you looked down upon us and and you saw our need, and you sent your most precious possession, Jesus, to be our Lord and Savior. And we thank you for that. Thank you for a Father God that we have today. Lord, some of us, are, our, our dads are no longer here. But thank you that you're a father to the fatherless and that we can look to you and that you provide and you take care of all of our needs. Thank you for each dad here today. Lord, I pray that they would feel valued, that they would feel blessed, that they would feel affirmed today. Um, Lord, many many of us struggle as dads and, and uh, wonder if we're doing enough. So, Lord, help us to encourage one another today. Lord, we pray for our nation today. We pray for President Biden. We pray for uh, our governor, Governor Whitmer, our local leaders. Lord, would you uh, guide them as they direct our, our nation. Lord, may we um, turn back to you and may it start with us. So bless us today, open up our hearts and minds and ears to your word. We will thank you in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to jump into God's word this morning and uh, God's plan and purpose for parenting. Uh, some of us that have been watching this video series with Don and Becky Smith, and they are in charge of uh, Bridge to Life Ministries on the other side of the state. Don's uh, worked with married couples in counseling for almost 40 years now. And a couple of weeks ago, during the, the video session that we were watching, uh, Don made an interesting statement that kind of caught my attention. Uh, Don said this, after 40, almost 40 years of marriage counseling, I'm convinced that most of us get married for the wrong reasons. I'm like, whoa, that's, that's, that's interesting. <laughs> most people get married for the wrong reasons. And I guess when we think about marriage, uh, you have two um, sinful people from two totally different backgrounds that come together. Uh, a lot of it is basically um, sometimes selfishness. And we all have this fallen nature. I know I've told this story before, but it, it fits right in. Um, you know, Diane and I, we were both 21 when we got married, and... Um, I'm planning our honeymoon. Uh, please don't ask my wife about that the whole honeymoon week. It really was more of a disaster. But uh, you know, I, li- I liked baseball, and uh, so we're in Chicago. My wife does not like sports, but you know, I thought, well, let's go to a Chicago White Sox baseball game on our honeymoon. That sounds so exciting to me. It did. But Diane will tell you today, if you were to take her to a baseball game, by the second inning, she's going to open a book or a Kindle or something and start reading. And I look back and I'm like, man, that was selfish. 
Well, uh, we're, we're discovering the, the, the purpose of, of marriage and its, and its oneness, and Don goes on to talk about how we're comprised of body, soul, and spirit, and marriage is spiritual oneness, soul oneness, and body oneness. All three of those, that's God's design, and our marriages are to reflect uh, really the Trinity and, and who, who God is. But just as um, most people get married for perhaps the wrong reason, I think the same can be said about parenting. That, that we enter into parenting not really understanding what is God's purpose and plan. And so you might be here this morning and thinking, well, you know, I've already raised my kids. This message is still for you because I tell you what, you got grandkids and in some cases great grandkids. And, and so you can take this message and, and apply the truths to building into their lives. And so God's plan and purpose for par- uh, for parenting. Um, I, I look back um, uh, again on our life, and most couples, uh, their discussion about parenting goes like this. Uh, before you get married, you maybe begin to talk about, well, how many kids would you like to have, and how many kids would you like to have? Diane said four, I said two, we compromised at three. So there's that discussion, and then um, the other preparation for parenting is the uh, wonderful childbirth classes. And uh, back, I don't know if they still do that today, perhaps they do, but we went to like six weeks of childbirth classes and, uh, you know, learning all these breathing techniques, and I was supposed to be the coach, and then we actually got to the labor and delivery room, I forgot everything I was supposed to do because I was just uh, kind of panicked. And that's about it. And so what we want to understand this morning is try to get a grasp on God's plan and purpose for parenting. Let me share a a rather couple paragraphs here. This is from Sacred Parenting by Gary Thomas, How Raising Children Shapes Our Souls. And this is what he has to say about uh, parenting. I think it's good. It's about four paragraphs long, so stick with me. He says, most of us end up having kids for superficial reasons. Some single women, young women tell crisis pregnancy counselors that they wanted to get pregnant to create someone who would love them. Some men think it's important to carry on the family name. Other couples have children because little babies seem so cute. Still others get lost on a narcissist binge to create another human being who looks just like the two of them combined. A few may even think having a baby will save a lonely marriage. Gary Thomas goes on to write, I have to confess that I felt eager to have kids because I longed to experience a close father-son relationship as well as an intimate father-daughter relationship. I wanted to be a hero to my kids as my dad was a hero to me. I had a sense that these children would validate me as a man. Yet these motivations, as noble as they may sound, are still narcissistic at root, based on an idealized notion of children and a romanticized view of what family life is really like. Before long, I discovered what every parent has discovered. Babies come to us as sinners in need of God's grace and as dependent human beings demanding around-the-clock care. This reality will melt sentimentality and our romanticized notions of family life 
before we reach the very uh, the end of the very first jumbo pack of Pampers. We need something more concrete, something eternal. It's God's desire that we raise spiritually sensitive children who will serve God and work for the glory of God and his kingdom on the earth. We are to raise children who will love God and obey his commandments. So that's what we're going to kind of look at this morning uh, about God's purpose and plan uh, for parenting. And so uh, let's look at the mandate. And uh, we're going to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. To kind of get an overview of this, uh, the mandate, Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 27 and 28. Uh, this is called the, the creation mandate or the cultural mandate. So God created mankind in his own image. That means intellect, emotion, and will. In the image of God, he created them. Here's the statement we need to get in our minds today. Male and female, he created them. Two genders. Male, female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, here's the cultural mandate. There's, there's, there's Adam and Eve. They're the only two people on the planet. Be fruitful and increase in number. We're glad they did, right? <laughs> Uh, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And so uh, that is the cultural or the creation mandate where God comes to Adam and Eve and says, I want you to have children. I want you to be fruitful and multiply, and you're going to have dominion or rule over the earth. That's, that's your responsibility. That's the culture of the creation mandate. Well, we're going to look at the mission here. and We've kind of already touched on it by uh, touching on uh, what Gary uh, Thomas wrote about marriage and, and parenting. But uh, here's the mission. Why are we to have children? And here it is in a, in a nutshell. We are called to bear and raise children for the glory of God. The Westminster Shorter Catechism is composed of 107 questions and answers uh, that uh, teach theology. And uh, question number one in the Westminster Shorter Catechism is, what is the chief end of man? The answer to that is, the chief end of man is what? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's why we're here. And having children falls under that. 1 Corinthians 10.31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do... Do it all for the glory of God. We are called to bear and raise children for the glory of God. Revelation 4.11, the King James Version is translated like this. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power, for you have created all things, and for your pleasure they are and were created. Oh, we were, all of creation was, was created to, for God's pleasure. Colossians 1.16, all things were created by him and for him. And so uh, the mandate is to have children. Uh, the mission then is that we're called to bear and raise children for the glory of God. And uh, now let's look at uh, the method. How is that to happen? How is that to happen? 
And so God's given us some instructions in um, the method of, of um, raising children for the glory of God. And I'll first say this is, this is a, a project, uh, ch- child raising, where um, we need God's help. Psalm 127.1, unless the Lord builds the house, you labor in vain. And so the very first thing we need to realize is that we can't do this alone. In fact, God never designed us to parent alone. We need God's guidance and God's wisdom. And uh, having raised uh, three boys and now uh, having five grandsons in the family, I'll tell you what, um, having kids, uh, it improves your prayer life drastically. Uh, you, you realize that you need God's help and you need God's intervention. And so um, we looked at Deuteronomy chapter 6, and let's let's go back if you want to follow in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Um, God gives us a method of raising and training children. And again, it's called the, the Shema because the first uh, word there in our Bibles, the word here, is a translation of the Hebrew word Shema. And this was like the, the Pledge of Allegiance for the Israelites. They would repeat this this every day. And they knew it by heart. And uh, and here, here is uh, the, the core of the Shema. Uh, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And he goes on to say, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Remember in the New Testament that uh, some lawyers came to Jesus and said, uh, which is the greatest commandment? And they were really trying to trap Jesus. And Jesus summarized all the law and the prophets with two commands, and he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Love the Lord your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two, all the commandments hang. He boiled it down to love God and love people. I know some churches in the area. I think there's one in Tecumseh, and I was looking at their little tag that uh, they had for their their church, and it was four words, love God, love people. And that kind of summarizes our, our job and our, our responsibility. So here, we're supposed to love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. So where does it start? It starts with us. And as someone said, you cannot pass on what you do not possess. And so if, if you want to pass on this, this love for God, guess what? It's got to be in your heart. It's got to be in your soul to begin with. Then it goes on to say, impress them, God, uh, God's truth and loving God, on your children. Uh, the New King James Version translates that, you shall teach them diligently. Uh, the Hebrew word is shanan. It means to, to pierce, uh, to make a mark. We're all going to make a mark on our on our kids and our grandkids. The question is, is it going to be a positive one or a negative one? And then in the rest of this passage, in verse 7, um, God gives the Moses and Israel uh, four ways to pass truth on. And when I read this, I like to call it four teachable moments. Look at it with me. We are to impress them on our your children. Talk about them. Okay, there's, there's point number one. We need to talk about God's truth to our kids, don't we? I, I mentioned the, the 
little thing from Focus on the Family here about the the, the Disney movie, and uh, we like to take our oldest two grandsons uh, after the end of the school year to to, to something special to celebrate um, the end of the school year, so uh, I thought, well, let's take them to see the, this Disney movie, and then I began to investigate it, and I began to be very troubled about what Disney's putting in there, and so we, we uh, talked to our son and daughter-in-law and said, well, uh, we haven't said anything to the boys. Uh, you're going to decide. You do you want? Here's what's in the movie. Do you want us to take? We can take them, but only if we have this conversation with them, um, or we can not take them. And they decided, let's not take them. So we went to a trampoline park instead, and I think they had just as much just as much fun. But we need to talk to our kids about God's truth. When are we to do that? It says, when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, four key teachable moments. Translate that to our day. Sit at home, dinner time, meal time. That's that's a great time to just kind of, you know, catch up and share and 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 talk with our with our kids. And you know, there's a place and a time for formal devotions. I don't. I'm not wanting to discount that. Doctrine is important. Um, we found it a challenge, and we, we I'll just be very honest, we were not very consistent in like having a family devotion time. And uh, I remember uh, one day, um, our previous church, uh, this one family in the church had seven kids, and uh, they were going on a trip somewhere, and we, we ended up... Um, watching their youngest uh, for dinner, and I don't know if he spent the night, but here's what I remember. Um, we we got to the end of the meal, and uh, our friend uh, is there, and he was about maybe eight or nine years old, and we're beginning to clean the table, and he goes to me, he's like, well, what are we doing for devotions tonight? I'm like, oh, yes, 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 uh, where's, where's my devotional book? <laughs> he called me on the carpet. Uh, but here, Deuteronomy is talking about kind of a, a, a natural process of applying God's truth to life. When you sit at home, dinner time, it's a key time. Walk along the road. When you're traveling, when you're traveling. I remember we, we sent our boys to Lenaway Christian School. It was a 40-minute drive one way. And I remember kind of complaining to the middle school principal about how much uh, time we were spending in the car. And he says, hey, use that to your advantage. You know, you've got, you've got those boys in the car. My wife did 98% of the driving, but talk to them, you know, and, and engage with them. 40 minutes down, 40 minutes back. Now, they were sleeping on the way down, but they did talk on the way back. But, but um, when you travel, when you lie down, bedtime, that's an important time. That time before they go to sleep. You know, however horrible they've been during the day, they just kind of look really sweet when they're sleeping, don't they? But just engage with them, pray with them. And then uh, when you rise up, when you get up in the morning. And so uh, applying God's truth to life. And yes, doctrine's important. It's also to have that regular conversation with God. I remember speaking to one of the guys from our previous church and uh, he was telling me about his uh, growing up in his family, and he said, no, we had devotions every night. And I could tell he wasn't, you know, wasn't very um, pleased about, like, 
30 minutes long every night, and my dad's reading, you know, these long passages from the Bible, and we're sitting there like, we just want to get done and get out and play. Uh, so we've got to be, we've got to be sensitive to, to, um, all of that. Well, uh, the method, uh, applying truth to life, including, uh, God and God's truth in everyday conversations. Well, let's begin to conclude uh, then with the message, the message. So we've kind of touched on this, but we're going to talk about three G's. What are we supposed to teach our kids and grandkids? And uh, this is from uh, uh, R.C. Sproul uh, in his book on uh, homeschooling. Uh, he talks about the three G's. So what are we supposed to teach our kids? Here's the, here's the first one. The first one is this. Who is God? So the first thing we want to tell them about and teach them about is, is about God and who he is. The great classic book by J.I. Packer, Knowing God. If you haven't read it, it's a great read. Chapter 3 is entitled Knowing and Being Known. He writes, what were we made for to know God? What aim should we set ourselves in life to know God? What is the eternal life that Jesus gives? The knowledge of God, John 17, 3. This is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus whom you have sent. Now sometimes we define an, an, an eternal life as a place, and it is. But eternal life is more a person. It's about Jesus. It's about getting to know God. And we'll have all eternity to, to get to know him more and more. So Sproul writes in his book about um, our goal of teaching kids who God is. Our calling is to tell our children and grandchildren who God is. When we wake up each morning, we ought not to ask ourselves, how can I prepare my child to enter the middle class of grown-ups? Rather, we should be asking, how do I tell my children and show my children who God is? And I tell you, the role of a dad um, is so crucial in this, that the gateway to our kids and our grandkids' understanding of who God is goes directly through their father. Uh, Jesus touched on this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. He said, If you then, though you are evil or sinful, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And so our, our children, our grandchildren, when they're young, they, they begin to form their, their thought process eventually of who God is in relation to their relationship to their father. And that's why for many people who maybe did not have a good relationship with their father, sometimes struggle with who God is and the goodness of God and the love of God. And so uh, who is God. Uh, I, I've shared this before, but it, it just, um, I got to read it again. And again, it's from uh, Sacred Parenting Gary Thomas. Uh, chapter one's entitled Papa God. L- listen to this. He writes One day when our daughter Kelsey was two years old, 
she started pointing at every family member's chair around the table. I was gone at the time, Gary writes. Mommy, she began. Allison, Graham, Kelsey. She then pointed to my empty chair and said, God, Jesus, Kelsey replied with a smile. Three days later, all of us were together in a hotel room when Kelsey did it again. She started pointing to everybody and announcing his or her name. When she got to me, she said, Jesus, I'm not Jesus, I said. Gary said, I'm Papa. You're Papa God, Kelsey said. I was flabbergasted and earnestly tried to talk it out with her, but you parents know what a two-year-old is like. By the time I had made my point, Kelsey had found something vastly more interesting than theology, her little toe, and how it wouldn't be made to wiggle in all directions. So the first thing is um, to teach who God is. And that puts a huge responsibility on dad. Well, here's the second G, um, not only who God is, but we need to teach him what God has done, what God has done. That's Psalm 78, and uh, beginning in verse uh, 4, this great uh, psalm written by Asaph, uh, he says, We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. Verse 6, so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. What's Asaph talking about? He's saying, you, we need to teach and tell our children what God has done. Uh, the great stories in the Old Testament. And I've discovered kids, kids love them. And I mentioned that... Uh, Grandson number two, Luke, when we get out the devotional book and the Bible story book, he'll, he'll, a lot of times he'll say, so which one do you want to read? And he'll say, tell me the story about the big guy. And I know he wants to hear again about David and Goliath. He loves that story. We need to tell him what God has done. We just finished going through the book of Joshua. Why are there so many memorials in the book of Joshua? You know, cross the Jordan River, set up some stones, and, and um, go through this experience, set up a, a, an altar, uh, and Joshua tells us it's so that when your children ask, what are these stones here for? You can tell them what God's done. Let me tell you that we, were, we came to the Jordan River and it was flood stage. We didn't know what we were going to do. And we followed the leadership of Joshua and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant actually put their foot in the river and the river stopped flowing and we walked through that river into the promised land. That's why these stones are here. Because your God is a great God. And so we need to teach them who God is. We also need to teach them what God has done. Not only in the Bible, but we need to pass on stories of what God's done in our how we've seen God work, how we've seen God provide in our own lives and pass that on to the next generation so they understand what God has done. So we need to tell our children, grandchildren, what God has done and uh, about God's faithfulness. There's a third G that um, we need to pass on. It's not only 
who is God and what God has done, but what does God require? What does God require of you and me? Who God is, what God's done, what does God require? Now, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, um, boy, there is a lot. It's part of the law, isn't there? There is a lot there about what God required of the nation of Israel. And we need to keep all that kind of in proper um, labels here. There's the moral law. That's for all of us. Ten Commandments. Don't murder. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't covet. There's the civil law. That's how the nation is to be governed. There was the ceremonial law. That's how they were to worship. And they worshiped in a far different way than we do today. Yeah, I didn't see anybody bring a lamb in today for a sacrifice. Thankfully, that's already been taken care of for us. But that's that's the, the moral law, the civil law, the ceremonial law. And it's all about what God requires. And so the third G, the important uh, G, uh, all of them are important, but the third one is, okay, what does this mean? What does God require of us? Micah 6.8 asks the question, what does the Lord require of you? The prophet writes, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And so uh, that's the, the message, who God is, what God's done. What does God require? And we could summarize it in one word. God requires obedience. In fact, in Samuel, it says he, he desires obedience rather than sacrifice. And so, uh, we're going to have to pass on to God, to the next generation, um, what God requires of them. And it's found all through scripture. And they need to learn to be in the book for themselves. They need to, to, to learn to, to, to read God's Word and study God's Word. And we also need to model it in our lives, don't we? That they need to have a, of a role model. No, uh, mom and dad are not perfect. Grandpa and grandma are not perfect. But uh, when they look at our lives, they need to see a life that loves God and, and lives for Him and obeys the, the truths of God's Word. As the Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And so the, the Apostle Paul was this, this role model um, for the, the churches and for the, the people that he influenced. Philippians 4.9, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me. So the things that you've heard, you've not only heard it, but you've also seen it. And so what our kids are looking for is not just lips that talk about God and who he is, but they also want to see it matched up with the life. And when they see us say something and do something differently, then it brings great confusion into their lives. And so God's plan and purpose for parenting, the the mandate is be fruitful, multiply, have dominion over the earth. The mission is that you and I are called to bear children and raise children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren for the glory of God. How do we do that? Well, we take God's truth and we, we build it into their lives and we make it a part of our everyday conversations. And we tell them who God is. 
we tell them what God has done. And we share with them what God requires of them. And then we do a lot of praying. And I have to tell you, there's no guarantee that our kids are going to follow God because they've got a human will and a human choice. And so we, we pray uh, that um, they see it in us. And we pray that they follow. And uh, uh, we, we never give up, give up praying. Franklin Graham's a great illustration. Franklin Graham, Billy Graham's son, was a rebel. He turned his, he's turned away from God's truth. And then God did a work in his life. I remember hearing Josh McDowell a couple years ago at Maranatha. And Josh McDowell's son, Sean, is a, uh, an apologist and a great um, speaker, loves God with all his heart. But uh, I remember Josh telling the story that when uh, Sean graduated from college, he came to his father, Josh McDowell, and said, Dad, I want you to know that um, I, don't, I don't believe anything that you believe anymore. And Josh McDowell said, that is great, Sean. Because I don't want you to believe it because I believe it. I want you to believe it because you go on a search for the truth and you, you believe it for yourself. And so Josh sent Sean and off on a journey and uh, he did some studying and did some investigating and uh, it, it took a while. But uh, Sean came back to the point where he believed the truth of Scripture. And today, God's using him all over the world. So be encouraged. God's not finished yet. And uh, I pray that this this um, will be an encouragement to us to continue to build into our kids and our grandkids um, God's truth. Let's, let's pray together this morning. Father, thank you for uh, each dad that is here. Uh, Lord, uh, Thank you that there's a guidebook on fathering and then um, there's so much in your word about uh, being a dad. And Lord, I pray that uh, for uh, those of us um, that have had um, godly dads, Lord, we thank you for that. And for those of us that have not had that experience, thank you that um, you are the, the father to the fatherless. And Lord, I pray that... Uh, Perhaps you would use some of us um, to encourage others um, that might be struggling in this area to, uh, to build into the lives of their kids and to love them and uh, that they would be Papa God to them. And uh, so give us guidance and give us direction and we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.